119, verse 114. These words, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. In response to the preaching of the gospel, let us sing from the same psalm, Psalm 119, the stanzas 43 and 44. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the table of the Lord our God is a very strong refuge, a wondrous shelter, a shelter from the storms of life, storms and waves caused by God's enemies that do not stop assaulting us, even three sworn enemies. And we know of those storms. We live in a time of which the Apostle Paul speaks in 2 Timothy chapter 3, a time when we see all around us in this broken world an explosion of sorts, an explosion of sin and immorality, vicious, devious assaults on God's word. We see, as the Apostle Paul already many, many years ago said it would be, man exchanging the truth of God, the truth of his word, for a lie. The lie that man is master and that not God's law, not God's word, is supreme. And that law is embraced even by civil courts, even in this country. And churches, or so-called churches, alike, yes, even churches who do not abide anymore by God's word, his law for life. And surely what is happening is that God appears to be giving man over to the sinful desires of their heart that they might bring judgment on themselves. And here, in this regard, we may also think of what the Apostle Paul writes elsewhere when he says, the Lord God will send a spirit of delusion. So will, people will be deluded to think that what they say is true, but yet it is false. But then we are reminded that not only are we at war with the devil and the world of sin, but we also have to wrestle with our own sinful human nature. We must do that in the power of the Spirit to resist the sinful desires of our own flesh. And our constant battle against these three sworn enemies can make us tired. It can make us seemingly defenseless. But thanks be to God, there is his inviting, his comforting feeding station. This worship, this worship service of God's congregation, resplendent with the preaching of the gospel and the use of the sacraments. There is this hiding place, this hiding place where we may hear the comfort of God's word and taste and see that he is so very good. A shield and a buckler, a mighty defender, a savior and a friend. In our text, the psalmist confessed his faith in this God. He confessed to know him and to worship him as his hiding place. 
or as we could also read, as his refuge, a shield, he says. And so therefore he knew himself to be protected. He expressed his confidence to put his hope in God's word. And you know that from beginning to end, this longest psalm in the Bible is a testimony of the trustworthiness of the Lord our God, his holy law. The psalmist knew that law to be a law of love, a law of liberty. He cherished it as God's word of life. Surely, as an aside, and we may remember also that it was the well-known author Corey Ten Boom who wrote that beautiful book, The Hiding Place, based it also on our text this morning. She knew that God also to be her refuge. And when the psalmist says, you are my hiding place, then he wasn't re- running from his responsibilities of, as a child of God. He wasn't looking for some hole in the ground, let us say some cave, fearful of facing those double-minded, or as we could also read verse 113, those devious thoughts. No, he made that clear throughout this psalm. I only think of Psalm 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Or, as we could read, when you set my heart free. Verse 98, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. It's ever with me. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it, verse 106, to keep your righteous rulers so you hear of his resolve indeed to live as a Christian. And yet he was looking for shelter. (coughs) Excuse me. He knew that he couldn't stand against his enemies in his own strength. Even if he should be able to defeat many giants out there, he'd still be faced with the slings and the arrows of sin and shame in here that is in his own heart and soul. In Psalm 32, David used very similar words as those in our text in looking to the Lord to hide and protect him. Confess there God to be his hiding place, just as he openly had confessed his transgressions, just before he spoke of being surrounded with shouts, even with songs of deliverance. It's not different in this psalm. Its author, too, knew that his own flesh was oh so very weak. Right at the beginning of this confession of faith, he cried out, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in keeping your statutes. He knew he needed to be delivered even from his own false ways. Verse 29 testifies to that. He spoke of the crying need for deliverance, for salvation. He was like a lost sheep hounded and troubled by malicious foes, looking for shelter, wanting to be sought and found and sheltered under the wings of his mighty God. And he was not proud to admit that trouble and anguish had come upon him and that he was only small and despised. But he knew the address of his rock and savior. He knew his one Lord and Redeemer, just like you and I may know him. He knew him according to his word. In the midst of an ocean of devious, conflicting, confusing thoughts, facing those who hated God and his law, confronted with his own heart, prone to capitulate evil, he cries to God to hide him. 
That is to rescue him, to save him. He knew God to be his shield. With God on his side, he would be offered great protection, surrounded on every side by the Lord, safe not only from the arrows of the evil one he could battle on. Surely, this psalmist must have been familiar with the promises of God, even those wondrous promises made by God to Abraham as well as to Isaac and Israel. Fear not, I am your shield. Genesis 15, verse 1. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. God speaking in Deuteronomy 33, 29. That God had not only said he'd protect his people against the onslaught of enemies like the Amorites and the Parasites and the Philistines. Not only would he be their shield when chariots of evil men would take to the field against them, no, he would make his face to shine upon them and forgive all their sins in the Savior who even then was on the way he was to come. He teaches children his precepts that they might free, flee to him, their Redeemer. For when the psalmist spoke of hope in God's word, what did he hope for, you think? Was it only to be kept safe, only to be kept sound and unscathed in physical battle? No, that was part of it. But he had a larger vision. He had a greater perspective, a more lofty hope, like me may have. Throughout the psalm, there is abundant evidence that he knew of that ongoing warfare between the seed of the woman, which is the church, and that of the serpent, the devil and his host. Though the insolent have smeared me with lies, he said, I keep your precepts with all my heart. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. And that warfare, or as we know it, that antithesis, doesn't only set God's people apart for himself. No, that warfare is oftentimes found in your and in my heart and mind. It makes a Christian hate his sinful flesh with all its devious desires. And at the same time, he delights in God's word, God's presence, his salvation. And that salvation is anchored, it's founded on God's word. His infallible testimony, his gracious promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's he who won the battle on Golgotha's cross. It's he who grafted us into his body, his church. It's he in whom and with whom we have communion today. He is our refuge, our shield, our strong defender, that with the psalmist we too might keep his statutes to the end, as he says in verse 112, hoping in him, waiting for him, in all patience, in all humility, relying not on ourselves, for then our striving, as Martin Luther once wrote and sang, our striving would be losing. No, relying on him, the Lord Jesus Christ alone. The psalmist saw that Savior sheltered through the shadows from afar. We may see him up close, as it were, and treasure him. For this morning, the Savior sets up this table and he says to us, Come, come, 
Take and eat and drink in remembrance of me. Take shelter, take refuge under my wings. Confess your sins, yes, ask for strength and guidance to help you. Fight against all wickedness. Be strong in me, be built up in me. Know in whom your hope is founded through ever-changing day and night. Remember, and so believe that I truly gave my body and shed my blood for you. And that in eating and drinking at my table, you feast. You feast by faith on what the Belgian Confession in Article 35 confesses to be the true natural body and Christ's true blood. My Holy Spirit, says the Lord, works that faith in you and unites me with me that you in turn may be my body, my church. Oh, and then we may be sure, brothers and sisters, that in this world, wickedness will increase together with outright persecution, even of those who honor the Lord, our Savior. We may celebrate the Lord's Supper. We may have this church service, indeed, in peace and in quiet. How different it is in many parts of the world where Christians are being persecuted outright and put to death and churches being burnt to the ground because they serve the same Savior as you and I. Oh, and then the time may come when we too will be arrested and boycotted for daring to suggest that God's word is law then our own hearts and flesh may fail, but then God will always be our refuge, our shield, our defender. So then, let us go to Christ's table in the assurance of his grace that we may hide and hope in his word. Yes, hope in the Lord, O nation. With him is steadfast love, and he with full salvation will bless you from above. And so we may pray, uphold me, Lord. And so my life sustain, true to your promise, grant me preservation for Christ's sake. Amen. Psalm 119, the stanzas 43 and 44. Let us sing. Mm-hmm.